Sky Brandon, bless his heart, returns to help me talk about six cinematic Marvel Universe movies, including the two-part epic Infinity War Saga, and uh, some new Spider-Man's new Ant-Man, and some uh, and standalone films for Captain Marvel and Black Widow. So you've got that to look forward to this episode of Rankin Review. You can send your feedback to review at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. And the website is, as always, rankandreview.ca. The .ca is because I'm up here in Canada. If you need something else to plug into your ears, I advise you to check out the Terror Table podcast and the Shelf Shedding movie show. This is your host and Ryan comedian Larry Parsons saying thank you so much for listening. Now let's talk some Marvel. Guy, Brandon, is back on the podcast to talk about Marvel, and I'm super happy about it. Thank you so much, my friend. We did it. We finally have done it. The next batch. <laughs> um, congratulations also on Shakespeare and the Saskatchewan and uh, Iago Speaks and uh, all of your good theater work. Uh, I, I, I wish that I knew I had better timing on when the podcasts were dropping so I could plug you guys. <laughs> A lot of the times... <laughs> It would be too little too late to plug it now, right? Yeah, it would be. By the time it airs, we'll be done. But I could plug at Persephone Theater, um, Joshua Beaudry, uh, who I'm sharing the stage with now, is getting to direct Stones in His Pockets, the play that I was in along with our friend Nathan Howe that got the pin pulled on it because of COVID. Right. Persephone Theater has held on to the set, and they told us we're going to try to make it happen at some point, and so we're the first show out of the gate this season so congratulations yeah, mid-september to the first bit of october if people are listening to this around that point in 2022 stones in his pockets finally gets to see the stage at persephone justifiably that's exciting man yeah. Um, yeah i'm pretty i'm very happy for josh that his directorial main stage debut is is going to get to see the light of day yeah well um and uh He's just been doing good work. Well, you guys have both been doing good work for a long time. It's like he's more than earned it. He's more than earned it. So, um, But we're here to talk about Marvel. And I know we've done this before a couple of times already. 
But before we get into this next group of six, I thought I would bring up two things that uh, uh, are of concern to me as a Marvel fan, generally in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that I do think is going to come up in the next six that we're talking about here. Um, okay. Because death doesn't really matter in comic books, should death matter in the Marvel Cinematic Universe would be the first question that I would hit you with. And uh, to bombard you with it, as the Marvel Universe continues to expand, and it is, like we, like you were saying, we're, we practically have another six good to go right away here as soon as the new Black Panther movie comes out. Um, yeah. Are endings important to storytelling? Again, I know they're not necessarily in the world of comic books, but as a viewer... Do we get worn out if it really comes to seem like there is no real end to things? So uh, those are my two my, my two philosophical attacks at Marvel here. And very good questions, and yes, well timed too. Because um, you're right; like comics have been around long enough, and I think I've said this before. Like the kind of soap opera thing, where it kind of has happened years ago but also in the near past because time is kind of this crunch thing because you get one issue a month so you know a 12 issue arc or quite often some arcs last six issues and it could be a matter of days in that arc but of course it just took you half a year or a year to read that story so like all of a sudden right it's like oh yeah this character is still this age but now they're making pop references in the comic to things that are current now and not when it started yeah but not when it started and so all of a sudden like the character that did die they then brought back and then as they're doing now you open the door to a multiverse and then even if they did die it's like well that person might be dead in that reality but there's still this thing over here so I think if it's done right, death of a character will still have weight and will will resonate with an audience, or viewer or reader. Just how often do you go back to that well? Yeah. I think would be yeah. Because there's got to be stakes. Because if you don't feel like there's stakes, it it certainly matters less if you know you know that the Loki TV series is coming right away, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And again, in, in the actual world of comic books, it seems to bother me less, but in this modern blurring of like TV and cinema, which is, everything's yeah. got to be part of a cinematic universe. It's never just one movie anymore. It's starting a trilogy, or it's starting like a, a branching of many, many movies. And yeah. I love movies, and uh, you know that I support the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I sniff a problem here. Also, as much as I enjoyed Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, kicking down all of these multiverse doors continues to dilute things, right? We're going to see time travel, we're going to see the afterlife, we're going to see all these new things starting to happen. And I remember in comic book world, when it became too, too crazy and, and spronging in too many directions, that's when things like Crisis on Infinite Earth happened and they hit the reset button. But even at that, it's never an ending. And I, I think right. that as much as I compliment Marvel for hitting so much things out of the park, I think the one thing that they are going to have trouble solving is making death matter. <laughs> and the fact that 
I mean, without announcing an ending, like if they decided that, I can't see why because it's a license to print money, but if they decided that phase six or whatever was the end and they could like glide it in for a very specific landing, that would be great. But that's just not the world you and I are living in, Sky. As long as there's money to be made off of this property, it's just going to keep going. We might just have to count ourselves lucky that we were here for the beginning. <laughs> Um, and I guess we can start addressing the death when we actually get to the death in the, the reviews. But is there anything you wanted to say by way of uh, introduction before I list off the movies we're reviewing and we get started? Uh, no. No, let's do it. Let's okay. jump in. All right. Well, we're going to do Avengers Infinity Wars. And we're going to do Ant-Man and the Wasp. Captain Marvel. Avengers Endgame. Spider-Man Homecoming, and we're going to finish with Black Widow. Thank you so much Is for doing that. Homecoming or Far From Home? Oh, pardon me. Far From Home. I, I misspoke. That's why you're here, to, to bail me out when I, <laughs> when I drop the ball like that. All three of the Spider-Man trilogy now, I guess, have home in the title, just to mess with yes. people like me, I guess. But you are correct. This is the one where they're, in, they're having their European adventures. It's... The European vacation version of, of the Spider-Man trilogy. <laughs> Let's do it. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. In time, you will know what it's like to lose. Feel so desperately that you're right, yet to fail all the same. Dread it. Run from it. Destiny still arrives. Evacuate the city. Engage all defenses and get this man a shield. Avengers Infinity War. Avengers Infinity War. What an epic, epic undertaking this was. I guess Infinity War and Endgame were shot simultaneously, but. They gave us a full year in between, and probably the most epic cinematic cliffhanger that I can think of. I would, I would agree. If there, if there is something else from further in my past, I can't recall. Certainly nothing immediately jumps to mind, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, like, who shot JR? It's still like a TV no. show, and you found out by the fall. You didn't have to wait like a full year. No. Um, and I mean, 
I remember going into it because I was a little bit more aware. I didn't know exactly how they were going to handle it, but I was pretty sure the snap was going to happen. I think the Nerdverse was pretty prepared. But I was worried for my boys, particularly my youngest son, taking all of this pretty personally. <laughs> we're pretty invested. Like, uh, how many movies deep is this movie now? <laughs> like, uh... We've spent several days of our lives watching these superheroes at this point. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to start out the gate saying that I do really, really like Infinity War. In fact, I will go so far as to say it's superior, in my opinion, to Endgame. But, I do have a few problems with it in that... The first thing it does is remind me of the experience of going to the theaters in the early 90s and seeing Alien 3. In that I felt like all of the great work accomplished in Thor Ragnarok is completely obliterated in the opening sequence of Infinity War. Like, we establish in Ragnarok that Thor doesn't need his hammer to be powerful. <laughs> that uh, he doesn't, you know... He doesn't need to have the home base to be the leader, you know. He and Loki are reconciled. Like, all of that is completely obliterated, like, instantly. And it's not because they wanted to fuck with the Thor lore or anything like that. I think this was yeah. just a necessity of... This is the story that's happening, and we gotta set the table right now. We gotta set the stakes right now. We've seen Thanos before, but now Thanos just beat the shit out of the Hulk fucking killed Loki and uh, uh, Hemdall, uh, the Idris yep. Elba character, and yep. half of the remaining scraps <laughs> of uh, Asgard. And we haven't even rolled credits yet on <laughs> Infinity War. It's yep. shockingly yep. dark. Shockingly dark. And as much as part of me says good on you for like going there... I, I wonder how the younger kids in the audience took it. If it was tough for me to watch at times, like, I wonder if they might have, like, maybe pushed it a little bit too far. But that said, once the actual mechanism of the plot starts kicking in, and we start slowly realizing that Thanos is the protagonist of this yeah. movie, then we start seeing the shape of what is happening and inevitably taking shape. You just can't help but take the ride and be impressed at all of these puzzle pieces coming together. Yes, necessarily they had to throw some to the side and get rid of them, but on like the balancing act is completely amazing, and it's redemption for Ultron. That's where I'm starting. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think they made a really smart decision early on, but I think, I think once they realized what the Russo brothers could do starting with Captain America Winter Soldier like just because some of those movies kind of were introducing characters beyond Cap anyway like they were kind of becoming mini Avenger movies because you're going to get you got you had Falcon you had Black Widow you had all this yeah these other moving pieces are part of it so it really felt like they were auditioning for this without maybe knowing that they were actually auditioning for this project they were the right guys for the job though yeah yeah absolutely and that I think it's also a testament to their work on these ones to then be able to maintain the tone of some of the other characters that are in their other movies 
can they come into this big ensemble movie and not lose it? And I, and I would argue that that is the case. The Guardians still felt like the Guardians. Um, uh, you know, we don't get to see Hawkeye and Ant-Man in this one, and so I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit. But when we do get to see some Ant-Man in Endgame and stuff, it still feels like the banter and some of the stuff jibes with those movies so even though those movies totally feel different i don't feel like they feel out of place in these big ensemble movies which i think is pretty cool yeah well and um the thanos angle is very interesting i think this is the first time we've seen the villain as the main character in the movie and not only that he's successful there is a fan theory or or debate that rages on was Thanos right is Thanos you know less of a complex or or is he a more complex villain we always complain about Marvel villains my position is that he is not a very complex villain I think that he like that's the story that he sells himself but in the end he wants to be the guy that does this it's a power trip he's completely abusive to his children he enjoys the killing He's just bad, right? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because everyone's like, well, he makes a good point. Like, there's not enough for everybody. I'm like, well, if you got a fucking magic glove with six stones in it... You can make enough for everyone. Can, like, make enough. Like, yeah. That's your, there's your alternative right there. And you don't make enough. You decide to get rid of half the population of living things. I'm like, that's not... So some people feel like, oh, it's a win, and this is not a win. This is rock bottom for as far as our heroes go in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And terrible things happen throughout the film. But do you agree? Do you think they went too dark for the kids? Were they maybe aiming too much at you and I and not enough at our kids for this episode? I know, I hadn't really clocked it. And, you know, it's been a few years since that one came out now, and my kid was a little bit younger. They... They seemed, they seemed fine with it, but not that all kids were. I think because, jumping to the end, because a lot of the character deaths, if you will, were like the snap, the dusting, yeah. you know, drifting away. It's a really more kind of cinematic way for a character to disappear than some kind of heroic, or sorry, uh, some kind of bloody death or something like that. Right. So apart from maybe Loki being choked to death by Thanos right off the top and stabbing Thanos, or Heimdall, apart from those ones, a lot of the other ones are just kind of like, they just drift away. So it can be shocking, but it didn't feel gratuitous because it's this mystery that everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. And I think even yeah, as like, a young... All those characters died, and it was like a battle, and they were like physically, like, like that yeah. might be a bit much, but... It's true, but I think even as a young kid, uh, I would have been up- troubled by it a little bit, and I would have hated having to wait a year to see the rest of it, but there's no way yeah. I would have believed that, you know, Spider-Man was gone forever. There's no way that I would believe that Doctor Strange is gone forever, right? Like uh, Black Panther, which had just like been their first Academy Award yeah. nominated film. Like, yeah, no, we're like, gonna for me, strap. The game was like, who is gonna, who is gonna get dusted? That was like the shock to me. And like, oh wow, that's those are the ones that they picked. And then it set the table for a year of me asking questions of like, well, this will be interesting dynamics between these characters. How's this going to work? If that's who's left, then... Well, they're trying to get us back uh, yeah, to I the have... the core Avengers again, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. You kind of knew that the original six had to be there. 
yeah. which is smart, which makes sense. But uh, yeah, having people snapped out of existence is one thing. But I remember coming out of the theater thinking, okay, I'm not necessarily worried for anybody who was snapped, but Gamora and Vision are dead. And again, we get an end run jumping to end game for Gamora, but it's a different timeline, Gamora. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing with Loki now, too, with the show. So, like, Loki did die. Yeah. It just them meddling with the timelines opened up a possibility for the <laughs> sidestep. That we can still go on forever. Um, and a lot of things that I haven't been talking about, I've sort of been focusing on the darkness, but the action sequences. Yeah. Um, I, there's a main henchman, this evil alien wizard guy that causes all these problems uh, and a, a yeah. great sort of demoralized Hulk un, being unable to transform. <laughs> so uh, Banner yes. not being any help in that particular fight. And that wizard, I can't remember the character's name, that villain. but uh, uh, Ebony Maw. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have a lot of yeah. screen time, but they sure make you hate him quickly. <laughs> like... Uh, and he is pretty good at fighting everybody, and he's very casual about how he does his moves. And like, right away, deep, deep into this movie, and um, it it does just seem to pile action sequence upon action sequence. And you know, as is necessary for the Avengers movies, there's the Guardians of the Galaxy, hooray! There's you know, the Black Widow. There's you know, everybody gets their own little entrance and gets their own little beat to play. Um, yeah, we sort of see where Vision and Wanda are, and uh, unfortunately, the very tragic end of that relationship. And uh, again, yeah. it does seem to be the apology or the redemption for Ultron. Whereas in Ultron, we had the birth of Vision, and in this one, we have the destruction of him. But. There's a lot of things I can pick on, right? I can say that Thanos is not as complex as they're trying to say, and I can say that the movie's too dark, but it's two and a half hours of pure escapist entertainment, and it absolutely works. Yeah. Yeah, and they use the ensemble to their advantage in that they don't dwell on any one group too long. Like, that's why the movie always does not... They never feel long to me, because you get the right amount of time with a certain set of characters before they move on to the next bit to get you caught up with what they're doing. Like, the only thing I could maybe kind of go, ah, maybe that feels like a bit, bit stretched out, like Thor, right? Like, like, it's like okay, like his story in terms of there's a big gap there for a while. Like, wh- how long does it take them to make this bloody new weapon? And yeah. What's going on? What's the timeline of, like, when... Did the dwarves and Nibelir make the gauntlet? Because you see the mold, but he seems to have had this gauntlet a long time because they were, like, dropping it in uh, end credit scenes in movies way earlier. Like, so, like, some of that stuff, I start pulling it apart and getting nitpicky. I'm like, ah, Sky, just watch the movie. Well, and again, another instance of Thanos being too evil, in my opinion. He lies to the giants, kills all of them, and then destroys the remaining giant's hands so that he can't forge any more weapons for any future Thanos. It's all vanity. It's yeah. all arrogance. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and certainly, even with Thor withstanding the, the might of a sun, focused energy of the sun, it was less interesting than everything else that was going on in the movie. Yeah, yeah. 
But I, I will say, and they have another great one in Endgame, but when Thor arrives on the field of Wakanda with Groot and Rocket, yeah. like, yes, yeah, like, you can, I couldn't help but get shit, like, that's a freaking entrance, <laughs> amazing. Oh, you guys are in trouble now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they, true Marvel fashion, right, they're able to undercut it in just the right way, we're having a little banter about their beards between Cap and Thor, right? They yeah. find these little comedic yet relatable moments between two friends who haven't seen each other in a really, really long time, and it's just, they just drop it in. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was good to see that Wakanda played a pretty pivotal role in the uh, in the, in the battle. Um Obviously, we are sort of cheated in that. I haven't seen, obviously, Wakanda forever, but I get the feeling like they probably had plans for Black Panther that necessarily had to change with the death of their star. And uh, so getting to see him focused prominently in this movie, Black Panther leads the charge, Wakanda forever. I mean, I'm glad it's there. I'm glad it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. Is there anything else you want to say about Infinity War before we move on to the next chapter? I know it's a it's a big movie. It seems like it needs a big conversation. The only thing too, like I love how you know, in terms of like that idea of it being Thanos' movie. And if there was any doubt, well, like often right at the end of these Marvel movies, it'll say you know the Avengers will return or Ant-Man and the Wasp will return. Well, at the end of Infinity War. Thanos will return. Like that's what the Russos put in. It didn't yeah. say the Avengers. It said Thanos. Very briefly, as it turns out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do some dumb things, and the people I love the most—they pay the price. Thanks to you, we had to run. We're still running. Let's go. So I take it you didn't have that tech available for me. No, I did. Ant-Man and the Wasp, directed by Peyton Reed, is not the movie that everybody wanted to see right after uh, Infinity Wars because the cliffhanger, oh my god, what's gonna happen? And meanwhile, before any of that happened, (laughs) we're gonna have this standalone Ant-Man and the Wasp adventure that largely has to do, well, there's two things. It's sort of a new tech adventure, similar to the first one, and the see, the attempt to uh, rescue Michelle Pfeiffer's character, the original Wasp, uh, from the yeah. um, microverse, is it? Or what is, yeah. it, is that what we're calling it? Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. those are the two things that are going on, and uh, with that we have two different villains. We have this woman who's been stuck in phase and is in terrible pain because of it, and will do at this point anything to get out of that situation and we have an I think 
as much as I love the actor, a kind of wasted Walton Goggins as a, a, a yeah. guy who's trying to get his hands on the PIM technology for nefarious reasons and who is willing to, you know, hire thugs and do all these other things. I sound like I'm being negative about the movie. The thing is, is that I, I, I think the movie is fine and it's it, in a way a wise thing to take a breath before we move forward in the, in the Marvel Universe. I'm just pointing out at the time when we were watching this movie, like we were all coming off of Infinity War and this felt sort of, by contrast, kind of slight. Evangeline Lilly gets to step up front a little bit more and participate in the action, which is good to see. And I love how they use the... They really make benefit of the abilities that Ant-Man has to rapidly change size and how that could be incredibly helpful when it came to hand-to-hand combat. Um, the movie completely works. Um, it's, in a weird way, kind of an industry-stamped dependable this is what a marvel cinematic universe entry looks like and um it's very good but i don't know that it stands out in this particular crop of movies paul rudd is funny and sarcastic just like he was in the first one and michael douglas is uh, well worn and comfortable as an old pair of shoes as the the original ant-man and, uh, you know, it was good to see Lawrence Fishburne kind of folded into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It seemed inevitable, but here he is. But I walked away liking it, but not loving it. Is it me, or is it my reaction? No, I don't think it's you. I, 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 I would probably, yeah, repeat everything you just said. Like, I enjoy it. I enjoy watching the movie. I can rewatch it easily. It just, it feels like it's the setup for other stuff. It's definitely that mid-movie for what they hope to be a trilogy, which we now know is happening, but also part of, like, the Avengers movies that were yet to come. Because, like, you know, we don't know, uh, like, Grogan's character, what was his name, Sonny, something, whatever. We don't know who he works for. So, like, for me, like, that's something that we're, like, okay, I'm being angled at that. So who is this, who's this guy's higher up? And Ghost... Um, Ghost, they're kind of like trying to redeem her by the end, and and just knowing now, like Thunderbolts has now been announced as like an upcoming project. So I'm like, well, okay, are they gonna give her some more time in the Thunderbolts? Um, so I'm glad. Yeah, the Michelle Pfeiffer stuff was great. Um, I had no doubt ever that they were gonna like find her, because like like you got Michelle Pfeiffer in the movie. Yeah. You've, <laughs> Like yeah, you're gonna you're gonna find her. Yeah, we just hired her I, so I she could die in Michael Douglas's arms, and then that was it. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Now you may say, but Sky, in the mid-credit scene, they all they all got you know snapped and turned to ash. I thought that was a good cliffhanger. Yeah. In that Ant-Man just happened to be in the quantum realm when it happened, so there's this great kind of discrepancy where they think he's gone, but he's just trapped someplace else. But again, it was never a matter of like, well, maybe not all of them are going to come back in the next movie, but something's going to get solved. Yeah. Well, and uh, I love Jimmy Woo. I love like the, the like the, the the back and forth between Randall Park and Paul Red. Yeah. I, and Michael Panna, like every time they're going to make an Ant Man and Wasp movie, he has to have a montage where <laughs> people lip sync his dialogue. Like it's. 
it's weird because you'd think that we would tire of his like little Ocean's Eleven wisecracking crew, or like that like they'd get you know either written out or killed off or something. But I always welcome their presence. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's yeah, a, a and good... I guess maybe that's like them knowing, like knowing the assignment, and Peyton Reed just being clear, and so yeah, like I, I like it, but I think you're right; it's it's not gonna stack up well against some of the other ones in this list, just because of what else is in this list. The other argument here is, again, going into the comic book world, is that there are standalone issues of comics, and there are issues that are part of the, the larger narrative, and this is a completely decent standalone adventure for Ant-Man and it's nice for for Marvel to have more of those because they're becoming less and less you know unless it's an origin movie there's not a lot of really clean entry points into Marvel anymore I think you could yeah. watch this having not seen the original Ant-Man or largely any of the other Marvel movies and you'd get it you know there's this technology that can make you really big or really small and this guy wants to get his wife back, and yeah. this woman is trying to solve this weird sci-fi predicament. She finds herself trapped in Ghost. Um, I, I like the, the concept of that character in Constant Phase. Again, it would seem like a great ability and superhuman quality and all these things that you could accomplish. But this side effect of yeah. being constantly in terrible pain. What would that do to you? I think that's really nice. And the, it's nice to have this sort of nice soft bubblegum landing after the darkness of Infinity War. And I also noticed, because we didn't have any Ant-Man in that movie, in Infinity War, he is a much warmer yeah. presence. Like, Stark, we like him, but he's kind of a dick, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Doctor Strange, we like him. But he's kind of a dick, you know? Yeah. Uh, Banner, we like him, but he's usually kind of in the side corner, you know? He's like a walking, talking special effect, so they, they use him more sparingly. What I like about Ant-Man is, like, he's relatable and likable in a way that the other guys aren't. <laughs> like, I guess I couldn't break into a house with the skill that he has, but I feel like I could have a conversation <laughs> with, uh, with uh, Ant-Man in a way you couldn't with Tony Stark. Or, or with uh, Stephen Strange, right? They're just so much better than you in every way. <laughs> that uh, There's a relatability to Ant-Man, and I think it complements the smallness of the story. I said the same thing in the original movie, or the original Ant-Man movie. It's just a fight over new technology. They, they want to stop the Yellow Jacket from misusing the Pym technology, and that's basically all the story is. Yeah. And that's yeah. perfect. That's, that's all we need that story to be. And I think that Ant-Man has been successful at sort of sustaining its own little corner of the sandbox and doing well within it. It's just it's just crowded out by more interesting stuff here. So that's <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, I would, the last thing I would add to, I appreciate how by the end of the first Ant-Man, they've clearly set up the fact that like, oh no, they all get along now. He gets like he's cool with his ex-wife and her new bow and that totally carries over to this one it's like 
it's refreshing to like see like oh yeah you're with my wife now but we don't have to hate each other yeah i know we're supposed you're supposed to be evil and i'm supposed to be you know (laughs) constantly wronged but i was in jail i wasn't around to be there for my kid and you were so in a way i guess i should be thanking you uh no and again just the pure charm level like he's under house arrest so this whole adventure has to sort of take place without being seen by the the other police and the giant ant showing up again to act as his proxy in his house and um like i just or all the different ideas that they worked in with the technology again i didn't read a lot of ant-man comic books so i don't know how much it lifted but the fact that the michael douglas character carries this entire office building with him and he shrinks it and brings it back up and like he he's got a portable vacation home he's got a tank hooked up to his keychain you know like there's limitless possibilities to this. <laughs> they need to hook up more Avengers characters with this PIM technology. <laughs> but and I love how, and I think this goes back to like uh, some of those original pitches, uh, from what I have read and understand, just how important the Ant Man stuff is. Like not to jump the gun, but when we get to Endgame, like that PIM tech is pivotal to everything kind of coming around and piecing together in that one too yeah um so i love how you know it's just a stupid movie some guy and like shrinks himself down to the size of an ant it's like no it's actually a bit more complicated not complicated it's a bit more nuanced and it has greater importance than maybe what a, a just a basic synopsis would appear to give at first glance oh absolutely and it's true in in other genres this whole idea I read the novel uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man by Richard Matheson and I had the memory of the the movie and the guy being chased by the cat and fighting a spider and that it was kind of cheesy or whatever the book is quite chilling because like he keeps shrinking and keeps shrinking and keeps shrinking like he it stops being about him being able to fit into the house and starts about being about him experiencing entirely different universes that are already all around us that we can't see. And uh, the transition between fearing and and being driven crazy by the scenario to kind of being forced to accept it, because what choice do you have? It's a much more imaginative area that they've kicked open here than it seems like and they keep on kicking down these doors like as a Guardians of the Galaxy opened up the sci-fi space universe and Doctor Strange opened up the supernatural wizarding world and this open, opens up the microverse and all of those universes have limitless stories that can be told in them and uh, you know this one was a fun slight page turner but it was a part of the overarching story and um, it's you know it holds its place fine. Marvel hasn't dropped the ball seriously for me yet here. It's like, uh, uh, even though I was really mean about Ultron, Ultron is an entertaining movie. It just has a lot of problems, and it's still an entertaining movie. But um, This is a really entertaining movie. It just, like, yeah. This is, this is a fun romp. It's not a nail-biting, oh my god, I can't wait to see what happens next. And not every movie yeah. needs to be that, so great. Good enough? So, you're not from around here. It's hard to explain. I keep having these memories. I see flashes. I think I had a life here. 
but I can't tell if it's real. No idea what threats are out there. We can't do this alone. We need you. I'm not what you think I am. So next out the gate for the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Captain Marvel, uh, directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. I guess there's two directors this time. That's interesting. Um, yeah, it got. I remember this. It got handed off. I see. Like one started and one finished. I see. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll say this about the movie. I didn't notice that. Like there wasn't a, a piece of the movie that felt significantly better or worse than than the other ones. <clears throat> the thought that immediately jumps to mind when I'm talking about Captain Marvel is in the previous review we were sort of talking about the template with the Marvel characters and we seem to have an over uh, a larger quota of smugness in our characters than we maybe need Tony Stark <coughs> kind of an arrogant jerk you know Stephen Strange kind of an arrogant jerk almost all of the uh, characters communicate you know fluently in sarcasm so like Ant-Man like it was very much the funnier lighter version of that but I feel like Captain Marvel might be an overcorrection for this I'm not as familiar with the comic book character of Captain Marvel but like I get that this is like a universal being of huge vast power and I can't quite close my hand on her personality it seems like before she's endowed with all of these powers, she is innately good at everything she does and just a perfect, positive human being. And that trajectory kind of stays through. Whereas, like, I feel like Tony Stark learns a lesson in the first Iron Man, right? I feel like Stephen Strange is humbled by the, the, when he can't use his hands in the original uh, Doctor Strange. Captain Marvel, she, uh, there's a few times she's on the ropes and she is learning how to focus and use these powers, but she fundamentally is the same person at the beginning of the movie that she is at the end of the movie for me. There is no arc for her character. She is just blandly good. All of her actions are blandly good, even unless she's being manipulated, and all of her skill sets, everything that she attacks is just, she just succeeds. It doesn't necessarily hurt the stakes. It feels like they're just trying to do something different with her character. But uh, that got muddied with the weird fan backlash to Brie Larson, who I do think is a really good actress. But I don't know if they didn't like her casting or if they just didn't like her. So there was all this weird baggage about the movie. And at the end of the day, I just want to sort of treat the movie as the movie. And I found her character less interesting but I found that the world that this movie set up with the Skrills and these aliens that will look just like everyone else and um, the younger version of S.H.I.E.L.D. and, you know, Sam Jackson convincingly, fairly convincingly de-aged to a way that it didn't distract me after the first few scenes. He sort of adjusted to it and 
um, I like the ambition of everything around the movie. I think it's like successful in everything it's doing, except for making me get who Captain Marvel is. We somehow got through the first Captain Marvel movie with me not really feeling like I grasped her. But did I have a good time watching the movie? I did. So that's where I'm starting. Like uh, again, another solid entry from Marvel, but clearly not top tier. Uh, it's for, you know origin itis. We've talked about this before yeah. in the past too. There's so much that they have to set up before the action kicks in that it feels a little bit stymied, a little bit knee deep in mud. But uh, it's necessary. You don't want to you don't want to force it too quickly. So yeah, I think it is a bit of a a byproduct of trying to introduce a character and one that they want to play an important role down the road, how do you do it in a way that can also explain why this character hasn't been around yet? Um, and also, on, I think it's because we pick up the story, you know, and it's a nice bit of a, a nice reveal that she doesn't know her past life and so we don't get to see her other than like quick little flashback bits that she kind of pieces together or whatnot we don't get to see her before the incident when she's infused with the, the power of cosmic and taken by the Kree so we only see this kind of weird Kree version of her and I wonder if in, in an attempt to play that that's what you're kind of touching on in terms of I don't know what to make of this character they don't seem to change right. I'm interesting I'm interested to see as it, we'll see what happens in the in the Marvel's movie that's coming up the sequel how much does she get back or retain from the previous life if anything and does that change her um, but she's kind of similar in her few scenes with Endgame. But then that's a weird thing, right? Where, like, just from a technical standpoint, she was shooting scenes in Endgame before, before she actually she even got to do her own movie. So she's kind of like, and it's not a bad job. But I think that's maybe why we're having a hard time sometimes putting our finger on what's going on here. Because not just her, they as a team are like, all right, here's your pages for this movie. You haven't had your own yet. Yeah. You're trying to like retroactively figure it out. So she's a test pilot, just to do a little bit of service of the plot. Uh, yeah. And uh, Annette Benning uh, is this mysterious scientist who's testing this new tech. Uh, there's an incursion with some aliens, there's an explosion, and now she finds herself being trained on another in another planet and uh, doing all of these sort of superhero missions but unknowingly to her kind of on the wrong side of things and like I get that trajectory I mean I guess it was dismissive to say she has no trajectory she does you know she figures out what's going on and she makes the, a choice for herself I, I get that I just don't feel like I know her <laughs> uh, and uh, right. that, yeah. that, that might yeah. be a problem I also think and this might be a small thing but I don't think that it is is it's a huge anticlimax for me that that is how Nick Fury loses his eye. In this movie, they have the reveal that he gets yes. his eye scratched by this cat. Well, it's not really a cat. It's an alien. But um, They've been playing with that and setting that up. And he learned a long time ago to, that trusting someone can cost him his eye. Like, 
Really? It was a cat? That was really? <laughs> I That was not yeah. a call that I would have made, <laughs> you know? I agree. I agree. And I, I actually also, I don't know why it kind of maybe bugged me even too strong in her face, but like getting the picture of Carol Danvers getting into the, the, the jet and her call sign being Avenger on her jet. And that right. gives him the idea to call it the Avenger initiative and call them that. Even that, I was like, I don't know, this felt a bit shoehorned. Like trying to retroactively increase the importance of this thing that we're just giving to you now but if it was so important why didn't we have it before? beforehand yeah um, but uh, I'm curious too like there's so many possibilities like getting to see Ronan the accuser again before mm -hmm. his version of what we would see in Guardians of the Galaxy like I wondered if like oh maybe the next movie will be like another thing in the past and just filling in that gap of well, what was Captain Marvel doing out in space all those years when all this stuff was happening um which is very possible and, yeah yeah and I know I can't have my cake and eat it too but the character that Annette Benning is playing Marvel who's kind of the original Captain Marvel in the comics um, and I think that was a bit of like, oh, people were surprised because in the comics it's a male presenting character, and in the movie they kind of did a bit of a bait and switch, and they made an eventing Marvel. Like so many interesting story stuff in those comics in the '70s and '80s about him. That's like, oh, and then we just kind of we don't get that. We don't get to see that version of Marvel. No. Well, again, whether it's an eventing or someone else. Uh, I was just happy to see Annette Benning because I think Annette Benning is a really good and underused actress generally. Uh, and let's be real, she doesn't have a ton to do in this movie, but it's it's nice to see her. It was super nice to yeah. see Coulson again. That was a nice turn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to add with the scrolls, it was a nice turn because in the comics they're almost exclusively. Not every single one, but they're almost always the villains. Right. Or, like, two sides of two bad guys. Like, I think over the years, it's kind of changed for, like, yes, the Kree and the Skrull are kind of like, you know, how can you root for one side? They're both bad. Like, it's very rarely that you see a Skrull that you would cheer for. So that was a nice little pivot that they've already done in this movie that I was not expecting. And just by introducing them now, we're going to get Secret Evasion, which is one of, like, the greatest comic um, and I think they're doing it by Disney Plus. They're not doing it in a movie. It's going to be a show, which makes sense. Um, we'll so see who knows who what could kind of version of Secret Invasion to tell us? Yeah, yeah, but they can they can look like anyone else, which leads to fun scenes where it looks like Captain Marvel's beating the shit out of an old lady on a subway train, and, you know, exactly. <laughs> which is which is lovely. <laughs> But yeah, I can see them being potentially fantastic villains when you don't know who's who. You know, it's like Marvel's version of like Battlestar Galactica. Who's the Cylon? Ah! Yeah. It's fun that it goes back to the 90s, even though the fact that 90s nostalgia is such a heavy thing these days makes me feel fucking old. <laughs> but... Uh, it, it, they, there's a lot of fun opportunities there and they made good use of them like I say I liked seeing Coulson again and it didn't seem forced or over the top like you understood that they had a long standing relationship just the way Fury reacted to Coulson's death you knew like this he was one of the boys <laughs> right so uh, yeah. Yeah. it was it was nice to see that and um, sort of 
yeah, it makes you more aware. Like they're not they're not tethered to anything. If they want to tell stories, they can go back in time. The X Men did it. Marvel can sure as hell do it. You know. And I appreciate like the '90s soundtrack <laughs> music being laced in, and like the nice little shoutouts to Blockbuster and Radio Shack. And yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's an it does suffer from origin itis. It's not definitely not one of my favorites, but I feel the potential here. I feel like now that this one's kind of out of the way, I'm curious to see where it goes from here. But um, that's what it is. It's more of a tantalizer. It's like, it's a long, entertaining teaser of things to come. It's like a pilot episode. <laughs> now yeah. what? And I guess that's, that's the one thing we didn't quite touch on, too, is at the end of Infinity War, that was like the end credit bit. That's right. the tease that Captain Marvel was coming, too. So I think, and, that, and as I recall, the schedules, as they do, sometimes get shifted. Like, I do think at one point Captain Marvel was supposed to be the next release right on the heels of Infinity War, similar to how Thor Ragnarok was supposed to go right into Avengers Infinity War, but they flipped it or something like that. And so if Thor Ragnarok came before Black Panther instead of the other way around. Right. But it's not that important, really. Like, I can understand where, like, yes, I'd want that little teaser to be the setup for the next movie that comes out, but it's not well, that big of a deal. You got the impression at the end of Infinity War, uh, Sam Jackson sees disaster unfolding, half the universe disappearing, and he hits this alarm. It's like his oh shit switch. It's like a universal, some, the shit has hit the fan in a cosmic way. But one does wonder why he didn't hit that switch the first time the aliens attacked in New York, or when mm -hmm. Ultron was taking over the world, or, 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 or. And I think exactly. it's just a question you have to choose to not ask yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's clearly just the byproduct of, like, this is how we're trying to just wedge this character into the backstory and the timeline of what's already been happening. Well, and never undercut the ambition of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What they're... What they have achieved, not even what they're attempting, what they have achieved is, like, really impressive. There's an awful lot of balls in the air, and to keep everybody straight, not just keep it straight themselves, but to keep your general audience on board for all of this, well played, gentlemen. <laughs> good enough for yep. Captain Marvel, or is there anything else you want to... No, I think that's, that's good. Good enough. God, seems like a thousand years ago. I fought my way out of that cave, became Iron Man. Realized I loved you. I know I said no more surprises, but I was really hoping to pull off one last one. The world has changed. None of us can go back. can do is our best and sometimes the best that we can do is to start over I saw all these people die I keep telling everybody they should move on some do. 
but not us. Even if there's a small chance, we owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. We will. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. So we had to wait a long time. It was a little over a year, I think, between uh, in Avengers Infinity War and uh, Avengers Endgame. And, uh, you know, it, they definitely made all of their money back, and they definitely deserve to make all of their money back. But I believe, as I said in Infinity War, I think that the first half of this epic Avengers adventure is, I think, significantly better than the second. Which is to not say that the second is terrible by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it doesn't have the same uh, sort of narrative originality, and it's the second half is more dependent on. Well, it's less clever. Little 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 knots are tied in the plot, just racing by just to get through it, like Ant Man being freed from from the micro microverse by a rat or like just people showing up because here they are now we need them to be there now doesn't matter how or why they got here we just sort of move along and i think the attempt at sort of matching the uh, boldness of having the villain be the protagonist in the first half of the story in infinity wars try and matched in the second one by the boldness of the time jump yeah. We open this movie, and everyone's at ground zero of what's happened, and we need to find Thanos right now. We need to get those stones from him, and we need to fix this. And it just doesn't go <laughs> the way they or we are necessarily expecting it to go. But, like, nor do we expect the movie to be, you know, resolved in the first 20 minutes. But I remember when it jumped, what, was it five years later? Uh, yeah. Five years, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, in the theater, there was a lot of people, like, you could hear go, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Openly gasped uh, that's, the audience that I saw it with, yeah. That's significant. So this is not just a small thing. Just beyond the initial fallout of half the world just uh, disappearing and all of the tragedies that would have fallen from that, all the planes that would have fallen out of the sky, all the, you know, people trapped in bad situations, you know. Um, the world has been basically without superheroes or, or hope and in a state of bleak depression. Um, there's, I guess, an overabundance of resources now, but uh, I guess that could have its own set of problems. But I guess when you get down to it, a bunch of miserable, fundamentally broken, <laughs> beaten heroes is not the most fun, entertaining time at the theaters, right? Even when yeah. Ant-Man gets ejected out of the, the microverse, the first thing he discovers is half the world is gone and that he's missed seeing his daughter grow up. And the laughs just keep on coming. <laughs> Uh, and much like the first half, like, the, the gloves are off. Characters are definitively killed off in this installment, and um, some of that stings. 
But, I mean, there's a lot to talk about it. No, but not to jump to the ending. For all of the, I think, pretty deliberate attempts to sack me emotionally towards the end of the movie, it was only one small scene. And to my surprise, it was um, happy talking to uh, Iron Man's daughter at the end of the film. That was the only thing that got close to making me feel a little dusty in my eyes while I was watching the whole movie, which I felt like the movie wanted me to be much more, like, wrecked emotionally by the ending and these fairly major departures that happen in the films. But I do think they needed to clean house. I think that with the amount of new characters that they're introducing, it will become unwieldy after a certain point. And if you're looking for an endpoint, we talked about at the introduction of the show, does Marvel, you know, can they have endings? This is not a bad endpoint. If you were to start with the original Iron Man and finish with Avengers Endgame, I don't think that the unfinished tethers of story would haunt your sleep. I think that it would feel complete enough to be satisfying. It is very successful, but it's, yeah... It's three hours, even by Marvel standards, it becomes a little bit unwieldy, and um, I don't know, it didn't have the emotional punch that it seemed to want to have for me, but I did really enjoy it, and I did enjoy watching it with my kids, and yes, they were happy to see normalcy relatively restored and their heroes back in the fray, and as far as a great cinematic payoff and a theater experience, when those portals start opening up at the end of the, the and like... There's like, it seems like an army of amazing superheroes <laughs> fighting an army of these aliens. It was very rewarding. So yeah. I'm not here to talk shit about Endgame, even though it sounds like I was pointing out all the <laughs> uh, it's 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 definitely an epic, entertaining, escapist fantasy, and it, it takes all those boxes. But um, yeah, I, as a comic book nerd, I have to point these things out. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved it. I was continually surprised in that I was not anticipating them like to have Thanos use the stones to destroy the stones. That's something that's attempted in the comic books, but that the stones somehow don't allow that to happen. Right. So the fact that they made that a narrative thing, like, oh, well, there you go. They just took that possibility off the table. And then it made for a very surprise death ending for Thanos. I was like, I was not expecting that at that joint. Was I expecting Thanos to live through the movie? No. Was I expecting him to die in the first 20 minutes of the movie? No. (laughs) (laughs) Also no. And I think, you know, as we find out, they're willing to do that because they have a way that they're planning. They're going to go back and we're going to get a version of him anyways from the past. And then he gets some insight and realizes, oh, shoot, I'm going to have to to be even more brutal than I was planning on being because clearly they won't stay down so I have to do something that will just let me get that eventually where he actually states that that, that is his new goal he's just going to crush bring it all down to zero and start over because well, and clearly people will be ungrateful for the, the great thing that he's done for them well and his mask slips a little bit knowing that he was thwarted by these people I think really pisses him off like when he has that little yeah. speech to Tony is like I'm going to destroy this world and I'm going to enjoy doing it that's far from the noble presentation that he'd been yeah. carrying before this right like 
This is not, I hope they remember you and fucking condescending, like, no. <laughs> And, and to our you know topic question at the top, like do the stories have ends? Maybe not the overall bigger story of this big ongoing sprawling interconnected weave, but I do feel like they're able to do that with certain characters. So to your point with Iron Man, and I and I would argue too with Captain America, the Russos, uh, along with um, um, with McFeely and uh, oh shoot, I'm blanking on the other writer because they're the tandem. Make sure I look it up while we're we're chatting but what's so great about that is when they do Iron Man he's a self-serving prick that makes the ultimate sacrifice by the end of this movie yeah. and Captain America is the guy who's always sacrificing himself by the end he's like you know what I'm going to take a little bit of something for me yeah and he earned it man <laughs> and he earned it yeah and by like though the two reversal of those two main characters who are kind of in this push and pull relationship throughout all these movies I think is just a really great reversal flip payoff it feels like yes you did those two characters justice by giving them that yeah and that I 100% agree with but Tony Skadark cracking time travel by staying up one night and figuring it out was a little bit convenient yes (laughs) but his in in the discovery itself yes but I love how they play the reaction and I'm like Holy shit, I did, I did it. <laughs> I, but like, it wasn't like, I knew it. It was like, oh my god. But like, yeah, it was a ballsy decision. They destroy the Infinity Stones. But now they have to figure out how they're going to do this. So they have to do something equally ridiculous, right? And so Tony figures out time travel. But you're right. It was great seeing the reconciliation between Tony and Captain. And they were both, they both were given perfect exits from the universe, I think. Uh, more interesting. As I knew, you know, I'm, sure I'm not the only one, but it's, I thought it was just great pairings of various characters that throughout the movie, like getting to have Tony and Nebula off the top. Yep. It was a really interesting duo, um, and then stuff that makes even more sense, like having Hawkeye and Black Widow. Hawkeye and Black Widow having to go to Vormir, like, well, you know one of them's not coming back, and they're like, they're great friends, so which one of them is it going to be? And they've been setting it up to be Hawkeye really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, rumors were already kind of coming out that there was going to be a Black Widow movie, and yeah. I was like, well, I guess it's going to be say goodbye to Hawkeye. Bye. I kind of went into it, it goes without saying, especially they, this movie opens on Hawkeye, and his entire yeah. family has vanished before him. And it's brutal. As I talk about the darkness and the heaviness of the movie taking away from yeah. the fun. And then he spends that five years killing people that he felt were unworthy of surviving the snap. And so he is broken. He is not a hero anymore. He's a vigilante. And he's a murderer. And he's gone to this dark place. So, yeah, I was like... I would have bet a pretty substantial amount of money going into that movie <laughs> that he was not going to survive. And no, they killed Black Widow. And uh, it was, uh, it was I think, the, the most surprising moment of the entire film for me. Because it was Scarlett Johansson, who was you know, very bankable for them. And yes, I had heard that there was going to be a Black Widow standalone. I didn't realize at that point that it was a prequel, obviously, but still... It, again, I just yeah. assumed she was pretty safe. Yeah. Um, 
apart from like say like other bits, I also love. And I think I may even have alluded to this when we talked about some of the other movies early on because Mark, it's Marcus and Ophelia are the, are the two writers, and they've done some other stuff. And I loved how they're the ones that wrote Thor: Dark World. And I love how they like, oh, you didn't like our Thor sequel? Oh. Well, we're going to make it pivotal <laughs> to one of the parts of Avengers Endgame in terms of them having to go back at the point and so Thor gets to see his mom one last time. And I just, I just love how, whether it was conscious or not, it's this great artistic middle finger to like, oh, but we're going to make it important in retrospect. And this <laughs> is why you had to watch that movie. Well, and people complain about fan service and... This movie has fan service. It's all about fan service. But much like Captain America earning his sort of selfish choice at the end of this movie, Marvel and its audience, this many movies into the franchise, we earned all of these payoffs. They earned all of these payoffs. So yeah. I will allow it. I think um, in, in yeah, another... Like, I will not lie. Like, I was geeking out. Yeah. Because, you know, I think that's why this one is so high for me. Like, yeah. Obviously, we're not having to worry about spoilers because we're talking about the bloody movies. But when Cap picks up Molnir, I just lost it. <laughs> when he gets to fight Thanos, Shield, and Hammer, I was like, "Oh, I'm here for it! I'm here for it!" Um, and then, but then I loved that it still wasn't enough, and that that he would that he just kept getting up and was willing to keep fighting. And then we finally get the Avengers assemble, but it's not the big yell. He just says it. You know, low key under his breath. I was like whispering it along. <laughs> so yeah, this one's got a special place in my heart just because it's like the teenager who collected comic books. Oh, for sure. And it, the yeah. the ending is epic. It's it is like a, a huge, huge battle worthy of all the films and time that led up to it. The stakes are incredibly high. <clears throat> the different timeline. Gamora trying to. Uh, re-rationalize with her sister um uh what's her name i just black blank nebula. nebula yeah gamora nebula's relationship and uh, the complicated dealing anytime you open up the door with time travel like again the nosebleeds just start happening <laughs> but like it's actually juggled really well i mean i know i'm not supposed to utter the name yas whedon anymore yas whedon <laughs> but i would always compliment that he was really good at, at, at having a large cast and making you feel like everybody got pretty fair sh share of the narrative like usually yeah. you didn't feel like anyone got too shortchanged. and in a movie this size and I think that's why it sprawled to three hours they just refused to shortchange anyone they just outright <laughs> refused to shortchange everyone and uh, that made the movie quite epic but yeah uh, at this point I think they knew you know nobody wanted to open against Avengers Endgame right like uh, <laughs> and they and they not that I'm um, defending the choice or whatever but to make Thor out of shape and stuff I was surprised at how well they kept that under wraps in terms of like any of the material or stuff like I had no sniff that that was that you know Chris Hemsworth had spent the bulk of that shoot in in a suit like I, I was shocked yeah and uh, Thor called him Lebowski which made me laugh out yeah. loud <laughs> uh, 
I my I know my wife didn't like the 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 fat humor in the movie. It's like the last yeah. bastion of people that we're allowed to make fun of. But uh, I don't know. I, I especially because it was Thor, and Thor is so about that sort of vanity kind of thing. It it mostly worked for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's why I kind of prefaced it with like I'm, I won't defend the decision itself because I were there were a few lines where I was like mm, I don't know if that. If that's the line you needed, but you're right. I think it's because of what Thor was and where he is on his journey that some people... But I love, too, where he's just so heartbreakingly wants to be the one who who puts the gauntlet on to bring him back because he feels like he's failed everybody so much at the end of the last movie. Yeah. Well, and that seems to be Thor's lot in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, to have things taken from him and to suffer... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but if you're like a god and you live as long as he does, it's bound to happen. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, as I said before, I think if you if you needed an exit point, this was it. But yes. obviously, the adventures continue. Um, but this definitely, I think, lived up to the hype in a way that almost felt like it couldn't <laughs> like as yeah. much as I did make my complaints about it and I do think that some of them are valid it absolutely delivered you know in, in every and very cleanly in that way like so really I don't know what more Marvel has to prove going forward and I think maybe that's the problem <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Like, for me, it's more about, like, how are they going to do, and, you know, they're starting to do it, and I haven't got caught up on all the Disney Plus stuff, too, but, like, how are they going to take, it's not even so much about maybe some of the characters, say, like, a Moon Knight that's more of, like, for lack of a better word, a secondary or tertiary character, not as well known. But for me, it's more about how are they going to take some of these more recent creations, like Ms. Marvel and, like, Thunderbolts, even though some of the Thunderbolts are other characters, how are they going to take these newer characters and incorporate them into the fabric of the story um for me that'll be the interesting challenge to watch it's like all right how what are you gonna do with this one <laughs> how are you gonna make me care how do you follow this yeah yeah what's up we're just talking about the trip i'm here in saint marco polo's oh i think mj really likes me everyone's when i first fell in love you're a very difficult person to contact, Spider-Man. This is Mr. Beck. We could have used someone like you on my world. New world? Beck is from Earth, just not ours. A snap to our hole in our dimension. You're saying there's a multiverse? We have a job to do, and you're coming with us. There's gotta be someone else you can use. What about Thor? Off-world. Captain Marvel, unavailable. But I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Bitch, please, you've been to space. What do you want, Peter? I want to go back on my trip with the girl who I really like and tell her how I feel. MJ, I am Spider-Man. No, of course I'm not. I mean, it's kind of obvious. You're right, you may not be ready, but this is my responsibility. Saving the world requires sacrifice. Sometimes people die. Oh my god. I just always feel like I'm putting my friends in danger. The world needs the next Iron Man. Are you going to step up or not? 
of here. Get on the jet. Who are you? I work with Spider-Man. You work for Spider-Man? I work with Spider-Man, not for Spider-Man. New plan. So Spider-Man Far From Home. I think much like we talked about with Ant-Man and the Wasp, was a very necessarily downshifting of the gears, you know. Endgame had impossibly high stakes and impossibly high body count. We have the trauma of losing Tony Stark and retiring Captain America. And so Spider-Man, having lived through all of that and returned from the snapping, is going on a school trip to Europe going to go to some museums, going to hang out with his girlfriend and his bestie, and it's going to be good, clean fun, and they're all going to have a great vacation. Roll credits. No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Enter Jake Gyllenhaal as a very different interpretation, at least in my memory, of Mysterio. Uh, My memory is that Mysterio was a magician and they did have the powers (laughs) to do these crazy things, but in this version, he's a... tech genius who actually used to work for Tony Stark and he can create these illusions with these projecting I don't know camera apparatuses that are actually capable of doing physical damage within the world and then he can show up and save the day quote unquote Um, he wants to get his hands on some of the Stark technology specifically the Spider-Man suit and the AI technology which runs the Spider-Man suit so he's got a very clear line and goal, and I think that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal has a good time playing both sides of the character. Like, uh, when he needs to be the likable hero character that, that you know the teenagers are looking up to, he's kind of good at playing that role, but there's an underside to it. Like, you can see it in the performance, and when, when he shows his hand that he's a dick, when he goes back to playing the nice guy role, you can see that that thing underneath it was self-disgust. He hates playing the nice guy. He hates the falseness of it. He hates pretending that he's weak or not anything other than this genius character. But he's kind of, in that way, an intellectual villain. And we haven't really seen that a lot in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're usually conquerors, destroyers, you know. (laughs) This guy has a personal vendetta against Tony Stark, but Tony Stark's dead. He can't do anything about it. (laughs) So... He's just going to use Tony's tech to make the world his own playground. Um, so yeah, like I was saying with Ant-Man and the Wasp, this does feel like a, a one-off adventure and a fairly fun escapist one-off adventure. But just like I said before, coming off of Endgame, this feels like a pretty slight meal by comparison. But if they made Endgame every time, we would be exhausted. Like... <laughs> It would be too much. It would be too much. So sometimes a light, fun, maybe kind of disposable superhero adventure is all you need. And that's, at the end of the day, all this one is. Compared to the first one, which was setting the table and bringing Spider-Man into the Marvel Universe, and the third one, which is kind of epic in what it's attempting to do, this one is a sliver of a meal. But... I enjoy the vibe, I enjoy the humor, I enjoy the adventure, and at least, he's not the most amazing villain, but give Mysterio this, he's different. Yeah. Yeah, I... Just building on that, that's the biggest issue I have with this movie, and it's not in his performance, uh, Jake Hall's performance. It annoys me 
in films and plays in general, when someone is tasked with playing a villain or someone who's being untruthful and it's unknown to the audience up to that point, so your task is to be, well, no, they don't know yet, so you have to be as believable as possible. Yeah. And then the moment comes in the film where, like, we, he takes off and he kind of does his, like, evil laugh. And, like, oh, we got it, everybody. And you realize that he's got this crew and blah, blah, blah. And from that moment on, whenever he's forced or in a position to then have to put that mask back on, he's terrible yeah. at doing it. Right. And it's not, it's not his acting, it's a, it's a device of the storytelling world. Well, the audience is in on it now, so we can watch him be bad at it because they know. Fuck that. I would rather see him be brilliant at lying right. again at the end instead of having Nick um, Fury go, well, that's some bullshit right there. Yeah. The, he does throw that Hail Mary pass. Gyllenhaal's but his acting changes. And yeah. for me, it's not enough to say, like, well, the stakes, it's at the end, he's losing control, he's doing whatever he can. Because now, as we roll forward, we know that, well, he records this thing and he lets out um, Peter Parker's identity and all this stuff. And again, it's not anything that Gyllenhaal is able or not able to do. I see it with plays all the time. Like, I talk about it because I work with Shakespeare so much. Villains like Richard III and Iago, it's like, just because the audience knows that they're lying, you cannot then portray them as bad liars because then it makes all the other characters look like fucking idiots. Commit and it to just the bit. In my commit to the bit and let your character commit to the bit. I get that. I feel like him outing Peter Parker at the end, he knew yeah. things were going south and that was just. Uh, yeah. Uh, what can I do to fuck this guy back <laughs> at this point? Um, so yes. uh, he was pretty convincing because he needed to be convincing at that point. I absolutely understand what you're saying yes. and to a degree uh, agree with it, but I also like that they legitimately took a crew of people that were in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and did get yelled at by Tony Stark or people from Tony Stark Industries and they brought them back for this movie. Like, they were one-scene roles or tertiary yes. characters from, like, eight yes. movies ago who, like... I love it that it's the dude from Iron Man 1 is the guy who's there, like, controlling the drone. Like, that's him. Yeah. Tony Stark so built this in a cave, right? All these poor... <laughs> yeah. All these poor put-upon guys who we have seen but not really registered because, you know, they're just there to get yelled at and scurry off and fix the, the, the tech. And uh, in a weird way, they're, they're emblematic of, like, well, problematic things with, with science fiction and fantasy things generally. They're the people who solve the imaginary problems. The blah blah blah's not working. Oh well, I can wire the blah 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 to the blah 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 and all will be well again. Well, do it, you fool! Like... Those are the, the type of forgettable roles, or the secondary characters. The TV show Community did an episode where all the background characters celebrated that the main characters were on vacation. They, like, they could finally breathe. They, like, the, something that they did mattered now. I just like that idea. Like, nothing is off the table. Like, they will go as far back as they can and take the smallest bit role character and find a way to plug them into a new story and reuse them. And I, I don't know, that pleased me. So I let that kind of balance out the unevenness of... if Again, I, I don't think... I agree with you. I don't think it's the performance. I think that, that 
that was in the script. Like once the once the mask slipped and we saw it, it sort of stayed down, and uh, that yes. might have been a mistake. But and I would like to, yeah, exactly. And I would like to see it be able to go back up when it needed to go up, and then can't wait to come off, but I'm not in a position to do it anymore. Um, that said, too, it sounds like I'm really shooting on. I still like I I do really really enjoyed this movie. Like a lot of those illusion sequences were really really fantastic and. And, and interesting and, and you're right it is a different take on Mysterio it's like yeah he was like I think at one point like a theater like if not a magician like at one point he was like a stuntman like he was into this idea of illusion in that I'm making you see something that's not real right so I love how they take that riff of it's still about illusion but it's just this tech based illusion yeah and the, the illusions that can have real world repercussions because uh, yeah. otherwise he's fighting smoke or it's all a dream, which can be interesting but hurts your stakes, right? Yeah. yeah. They build the relationship... Still, uh, and maybe... Sorry, I was just going to say, they build a relationship between he and his girlfriend and his buddy more uh, in, in this movie. Um, yeah. They are completely... Well, she discovers his secret, necessarily, and... Uh, it really bonds the three, which helps set up things for the next movie nicely. And it didn't feel like some of the things in some of the previous movies we talked about jammed in. It felt like their involvement of the story made sense organically. He was trying to get FaceTime with his girlfriend, and he kept on being pulled away by this adventure. And she wanted to be with him, so she's like, what's the problem? And ends up chasing him into the story. And... A lot of times it's really clumsy, or she gets kidnapped by the villain, you know? They didn't do that. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm, and, and we'll see what, what the payoff will be, too, but, like, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, that scroll reveal at the end. And, and so I, I, I'm kind of holding judgment on what that means. Like, I, I when they kind of read, like, oh, it, Nick and, and, um, well, and Nick's actually off in space or whatever, and it was, the scrolls that were in place of and this idea of like well how long have the scrolls been here and how long has been nick up in space and, and when is it nick and when is it not and how do we know and yeah exactly. after a point like, does well, it matter like, i didn't like the reveal of like well are we again are we undoing a bunch of stuff that we've seen um but that might all get explained when they finally get to doing the actual secret invasion show and i will give it it's like that was a post-credit sort of throwaway thing it, it yes. didn't they didn't sure. slow down anything that was happening in the story to do that so i will give it a pass but yeah we'll just have to wait and see yeah. on that yeah yeah anything else you want to say on? no he's great he's a great spider-man it, it's 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 fun to watch a younger actor get to play it not that i had a problem with toby mcguire doing it or andrew garfield like no problem at all but it's but they're just cool not teenagers kids really good at it yeah, and they're not teenagers. Spider-Man was always a teenager. That was kind of the thing that stood out about him, is that he really was just a kid <laughs> under all of that power. And this movie remembers that. I do that. think it's funny now that all three, uh, all three of the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies have now come out in between Guardians 2 and when Guardians 3 will finally come out. We have the full Spider-Man trilogy in between those two movies. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. You won't win. I've always found it best. 
able to look into the past. Okay, you got a plan or shall I just stay duck and cover? My plan was to drive us away. Well, your plan sucks. At some point, we all have to choose between what the world wants you to be and who you are. I made my choice. I'm done running. Here's what's gonna happen. Natasha, don't slouch. I'm not slouching. You're going to get the back hunch. Mm, listen to your mother. Oh my God, this- Up, up, listen. All right, enough, all of you. You didn't say anything, that's not fair. All right, here's our last review for this episode, Black Widow, directed by Kate Shortland. And this is the long, long waited for standalone Black Widow feature which came out after her character died in Avengers Endgame. So obviously we're going backwards in time. This actually takes place immediately following Civil War, chronologically, yeah. so she's uh, kind of on the lam. She was on the... She'd broken some laws. She's on the... Being hunted by the William Hurt's character. R.I.P. William Hurt, by the way. <laughs> um, the late, great. So she ends up reconnecting with her past... Her younger sister, played by Florence Pugh, who I am deeply charmed by as an actress, and, a, and this character particularly is quite a lot of fun. And she reconnects with her uh, kind of a family that she'd once had way back in the halcyon days of the 1990s. I remember being a kid in the 90s thinking, someday when I'm old, I'm going to hear like a, a Muzak version of Smells Like Teen Spirit in an Elevator and I'm going to want to kill myself. Well, a really sort of dirgy ballad version of Smells Like Teen Spirit opens this movie, and the first act is steeped again in this 90s nostalgia that's been going on. And it's bittersweet for me, because like I say, it just <laughs> I see what you're doing, you're doing it well, but you're making me feel old and sad right now, so, so stop it. Um... <clears throat> I actually was surprised because I'd heard a lot of lukewarm stuff about Black Widow the movie and how much I enjoyed the movie. But there's a pretty large but because I think they forgot one crucial thing about the Black Widow character in the making of this movie. And that is this. Black Widow is not a superhero. She is a human being, right? If she, if you prick her, she will bleed. Okay, <laughs> and uh, by the end of this movie, where she's being thrown by explosions and falling out of the sky without a parachute and gliding through the debris and saving people during free fall, before she figures out even how she's going to safely land, no, no, that's what a superhero does. That's a Thor sequence. That's an Iron Man sequence. That is not a Black Widow sequence. That is, like, even within the realm of Marvel, ludicrous. That said, 
do the nuts and bolts of the movie work for me? Actually, yes, they do. Until the, like, gobsmacking silliness of the legitimate climactic air battle at the end, I think it mostly works quite well. Which, why that that ending is kind of a letdown. I still was smiling and laughing just at sort of, like, the ludicrousness of it in a certain degree. But they kind of start in a place which feels tangible and real and they end in a place that is none of those things and that's kind of a you know a less than inspiring journey overall but rachel weiss as her mom and uh the guy from stranger things david harbour david harbour uh as this guy who's got this real ego and uh, obsession with uh you know, he wants to think of himself as the the Soviet mirror to Captain America, and uh, you know, living in in the past the way the whole movie is. He wants to rekindle his former glory or remind everybody of his former glory. All of that works. The dynamic between Florence Pugh and Scarlett Johansson and the performance between the two of them, yeah. love it. I love that she calls her out on her superhero poses, and I love that they have the girly sister bond, even though they're trying it seems not to have it they just they just love each other they just do doesn't matter do they start fighting of course they do and you know are there catty back and forth of course there is but it's it's well done so you know it's weird because i'm i guess i'd have to in the end say i'm a little mixed about the movie but overall it actually was kind of different enough that i was excited and, and enjoyed watching it I think it ends up somewhere in the middle of the list more than towards the bottom of this list for me, but I'd heard a lot of negative things, so I'm, I'm more than willing to hear a second opinion. Uh, it, it's, it's high for me, actually. Like, I really, really liked it. I, I, the, the, the stuff at the end didn't bother me as much, but you know, as I listen to you talk to it, I'm like, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I totally get that point. That does make sense. And it's the, the double-sided coin of it. I love that they showed shit happening to her. Yeah. Like, when Taskmaster shows up and almost blows her off the bridge, like, what the fuck? Like, she didn't see it coming, right? Like, she's not always one step ahead of everybody, although she's one step ahead of Thunderbolt Ross. There's moments where she's surprised and never... But then sometimes some of those falls that she takes, like, when she, like, falls into shit, I'm like, oh, that looks brutal. But then I'm like... How does she get up? Because yeah. you're right, she's not a superhero. So I love that they show her getting hurt, but then it's sometimes it's so much that you're like, how the hell does she keep getting back up? Yeah. Um, that aside, it really felt like the same realm as like Winter Soldier for me. Right. Like I, it's more the espionage type take on stuff because they're not superheroes, with the exception of Red Guardian a little bit and then whatever taskmaster has going on there i thought i like that reversal i know that got some blowback too that like when the helmet came off and like oh what now they made taskmaster a woman i thought they did a great job of using that character from the comics in a way that really fit in nicely with this story arc well and it tied into uh black widow's red in her ledger right yeah exactly and give me ray winstone anytime oh yeah put him put him in every movie (laughs) I mean, he, he can play uh, a really nice guy and he can play a really bad guy, but uh, this is a really punchable guy. <laughs> like, he, he is yeah. super hateable in this movie, which is what you want out of your villain, right? Like, it's got to be satisfying to see him get his, you know, finally get his yeah. payback. 
I, I like how they kind of stepped up what happened to the Widows after Natasha gets out. Like the whole idea of this kind of very specific kind of mind control that was not around when she was there that kind of helps explain if you need it. Like, well, she got out and after that happened, he kind of took turned things up a notch. So it's like, no, it's not just like, oh, I want to get out and I'll leave. Right. Um, I thought they moved that in really, really well. Um, and I also, maybe it's a small thing, and I think it's in part because we get this movie after Black Widow some sacrifices herself in Endgame, but in the credits, they don't have the big flashy animated credits like Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, where things are silhouetted in like right. visual art and both. It's like, nope, just roll the credits. She done. And, I, and I, re- I appreciated that tone at the end in a way. It's like, because you get to watch her in this moment knowing what's to come. Um, <coughs> and also, Julia Louis Dreyfus in an end credit scene. Yeah, I'll, yeah, sure, I'll take that too. <laughs> I and uh, I have not seen the uh, Hawkeye TV series, so but I guess we get more Florence Pugh in that as well. So I should I should probably get on that. Yeah, um, you should. Like I said at the beginning of the review, I was very charmed by Florence Pugh. Uh, if, I don't know if you've seen Midsummer. <laughs> I haven't. She's amazing in that movie, and she's also amazing in this movie. But they're two very different things. So. Uh, those are the first two things that I, I clocked at least seeing her in, uh, and I'm impressed. Here's a question, though. <clears throat> the whole Red Room uh, assassin training thing. The fact that once they finished their espionage, you know, uh, in, in America and they came back, that the mother and father handed these two girls over to that school and basically walked away from them for years kind of, I think, detracts from the strong family bond that they're trying to maintain here. Especially when you learn that they have, like, forced hysterectomies as part of it, and uh, that uh, a significant percentage don't survive the training. And it's not like they were hanging out at Christmas time or visiting their parents in the in-between. I thought that was a weird choice. A weird kind of dehumanizing choice. Like, the, the whole movie's about this family recovering the bond then I think a conversation at the very least is owed there yeah like maybe you can cut Melina Rachel Weiss's character a little bit of slack because she's been shot in the plane and she's kind of carted off right away yeah but Red Guardian like David Harbour's are talking the kids down setting them up so they can come in and give them the tranquilizers like that's yeah. That's but not bad parenting. That's that's evil. Find out that he's been thrown into prison, but we don't know what that timeline is. So, like, yeah. I I just think from a writing standpoint, I would have either changed that or I would have acknowledged that moment because that's no small thing. That was the moment that the family separated, and you know, yeah. uh, the Florence Pugh character she was younger, so it was more traumatic for her. But Scarlett yeah. Johansson seemed to know this was coming. And uh, I feel like she should kind of have more resentment for her parents than she actually does in the movie. I mean, I guess in the end of the day, I mean, I remember asking a friend who'd been really ill-treated by his parents how he dealt with it, and uh, he just answered, they're my parents. Yeah. There's, There's no other answer, right? Like, 
the most important thing to remember about your parents is that there's nothing you can do about them. <laughs> so well, and I guess maybe that's part of it too. From them, I'm not trying to defend it because I actually I do agree with you. It's like they're they're not their parents. Like she doesn't know who her real parents even are. But I guess it's the closest thing that she was able to have to it. So maybe that's definitely because I know some people who are way more attached to their found or forced family than their biological family. So. Oh yeah. Um, but in terms of the the mom and dad, maybe it's easier for them. Like, well, they're not our kids. Yeah. But like the movie narratively wants us to believe that they care about them too. So I don't know. it's just strange. Yeah. Changing the the <laughs> subject though, watching <laughs> it with my kids, there was a scene that really really upset my youngest son. Can you guess what it was? The pig. It was Rachel Weiss playing with this pig. Their learning about mind control is really evil. And again, the fact that she's involved with the mind control studying when she and her daughters have been victims of it. So gross. But yeah, yeah, she has this pig that she asks to stop breathing. And then she continues having the conversation and the pig gets shaky and the pig falls over. And I saw my son's hand went to his chest. He did not like that at all. Yeah. She saves the pig. But it's a strange moment. <laughs> like, well, yeah, because the response is like, oh, they still had a few seconds before it would yeah. have been anything serious. <laughs> uh, I think... And maybe I'm just going to talk in this out loud in the moment. I haven't thought about it too much. But like at first, I felt like in terms of standalone movies, especially ones that go and do stories retroactively to fit stuff in, I feel like it's far more successful than Captain Marvel. But then I wonder now as I'm thinking that out loud, that is that in part because we've had more time with Black Widow in the other movies and so we feel like we know Black Widow better that we can go back and do this little fill-in one-shot and we get... I felt like it was a more successful job because we just have more stuff to fill in for the character. It has elements of being an origin movie, but it's not an origin movie. It's a standalone Black Widow adventure and it yeah. benefits from that. Yes, absolutely. Is that good enough on Black Widow? Is there anything else you wanted to say about ScarJo's farewell from the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I'm curious to see, you know, because there was some, you know, legal stuff that happened with the release because of COVID, and it was like Disney Plus and movie theater, and did that break contract? And I, and it seems like all that stuff is sorted out. I'm curious to see, and I hope that even if it's not like her character, but she's been a part of these movies and so many of them, I really hope that she's involved going forward. Like, whether that's as a producer or, like, I don't know if she'd ever direct. I've never gotten any indication from print material or interviews that that's something that interests her, but I wonder if there's a way that she's still actually going to be involved in some of these movies, even if it doesn't mean some kind of return in a multiverse angle or something like that. Well, and again, and they, these are doors that have been kicked down. If ScarJo wants back in, she can come they'll, back they'll in. They'll find a way. Yeah. They'll do like a further prequel or they'll do a different prequel. Or, yeah, another version of her or like there's, it's, again, like where we started with this episode, death kind of doesn't matter in the Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe. But, uh, I don't know, I thought this one was underrated. Yeah, I, I really, really liked it. And watched it, loved watching it with my kid. Like, 
something for them to watch a really strong female taking the lead on it like yeah it's pretty uh, satisfying and in a way like that never occurred to me in Captain Marvel right but it occurred to me all the time in Black Widow and I think it's because she's the only woman in the Avengers and she's finally getting her own movie maybe we just knew Hawkeye her more. didn't get a movie, but he eventually got a TV show, so he did get his time to shine eventually. But everyone else had their own stuff. She didn't, so maybe that's why it feels a bit more satisfying. She was due, and she got her due, damn it. So that was yet another six Marvel Cinematic Universe films ranked, uh, or, well, reviewed, about to be ranked. Thank you so much, Sky, for being here. I, I know you're a busy man, all these theatrical obligations, and you gotta have a vacation with the fam, and here I am, just just gumming up the works with this podcast, but the love in the garage is big right now. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, what was your least favorite of this group of six, and why? Captain Marvel was my number six. Um, I think in part, just because it was, uh, just some of the retroactive things where they tried to give it weight in a way that just, it didn't, again, none of these movies did I dislike. I liked them all and enjoyed watching all, so it's trying to find reasons of, like, well, why is it lower on the list than others? Right. Or why is it higher? So for me, yeah, it's, it was a good introduction, but it just felt shoehorned in a way, uh, and maybe I'll feel differently when we get more Captain Marvel story to find out, like, what they were doing in some of these, you know, stretches of time, if that's even relevant to what's coming down the pipe. Um, but that was the kind of the, the main reason why it was my six. Okay. Respect. Number five. Yes, please. Ant Man and the Wasp. I think mainly because it just kind of felt like felt very much like the setup of other things. As much as I enjoyed it, it felt like. Um, Man, it can sound like I'm complaining, but I don't mean it to. They, they they successfully took a lot of the elements from the first movie and did them again in the second. I found very entertaining, but it's like, oh, it's this kind of mix of the stuff they already did that's making me happy, and I'm getting set up for stuff. Um, apart from getting more Evangeline Lilly as the Wasp, it just kind of feels like, oh, it's just more of the same. Thank you. I yeah. enjoyed that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, number four... Spider-Man Far From Home um, loving the Spider-Man trilogies but I think it's just that villain thing that's just sticking in my craw yep. that just makes it a little bit lower than some of the other ones um, yeah, I, 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 the tone of the Spider-Man movies Tom Holland's great 
Um, I just wish they didn't do that to Jake Gyllenhaal because I don't think it's his fault. Uh, my number three, Black Widow. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, especially of all the ones that had to come after Endgame. You know, I know it's just the, the two of them, I guess, but like maybe it was because it got delayed because of COVID. I don't know, but in terms of like a movie being able to stand on its own and not have to be necessarily tied to other stuff, it was really, really successful. And I just loved the spy genre feeling, which leaves me with the two Avengers movies as my one and two. Um, I don't disagree with you in terms of like how like Infinity War maybe is like the in some ways structurally the better film, but it's my number two and Endgame's my number one only because of the payoff. Right. I just love how they brought all the threads together and I'm yes, I totally geeked out, but like those moments at the end with the portals and Cap picking up Molnir and Tony sacrificing himself. It was totally worth sitting through the denouement of everything after that just to have that final epic battle and to, to have all those characters on the screen at the same time and to, like, holy smokes, they pulled it off. Payoff so. after payoff after payoff after payoff, yeah. yeah. And still then being able to, like, set up a few, you know, or planting a few seeds. You're like, okay, well, we're obviously going to follow that because now Gamora's back, even though it's a different Gamora, so how's that going to pay off? And where's Thor going to go and so I felt like it was a really great way of ending stuff and also setting up what was to come that is a very good list and dude we are so close we are like <laughs> so ridiculously terribly unbelievably close but uh, alas that does not a cigar make um, let's start in agreement I actually did put Captain Marvel at the bottom of the list as well I kind of felt like Captain Marvel and Black Widow were supposed to be in the other in the opposite spots as far as like other people's reaction to them and mine. And again, it's not that I thought it was terrible, but it doesn't have the bounce and the charm of your Ant-Man or your Spider-Man movies, and it definitely suffers from origin movie-itis. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that now that this movie's out of the way, it'll be interesting to see how things move going forward. But of this group of movies, I guess it ended up being the least interesting. To continue agreeing with you, Ant-Man and the Wasp is in fifth position. A very fun, very palatable, one-off adventure. I mean, uh, welcome Michelle Pfeiffer into the fold. I've been a fan of hers since the 80s, and uh, she, yeah. it's, it's great to see her, and uh, she's well-matched with Michael Douglas. And uh, two great actors being well-used. And a lot of the times, I mean, we'll see again how the, well, much they focus on these characters going forward. But sometimes they have the flashy casting and they don't do much or enough with them. And in this case, I think everybody got their money's worth. Fourth position, we're just agreeing so much it's boring at this point. This is uh, <laughs> Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, again, the charm factor is there. The setting up for what's going to be coming is nice, but it doesn't feel like it's really self-consciously plugged into the movie. It, it grows organically out of the story. It's a fun Spider-Man adventure. Um, I think if I was ranking it with the other Spider-Man movies, it would maybe rank lo lower, but in this list, it kind of fell into the middle. Still in agreement in third oh, position, man, Black so cool. Widow. <laughs> I know. Uh, yes, uh, it, it was a long time coming for this movie. It's kind of unfortunate that Scarlett Johansson felt the need to just sue Disney to get more money out of this movie. 
Um, I don't know, just for me, Scarlett Johansson's been working in movies since she's 13 years old. Like, I'm sure she's doing fine. I know that she didn't make as much money from Black Widow as she would have liked, but I, I just don't have this idea that, that she's suffering in any way. <laughs> like, uh, but the movie was a good send-off, like, fairly well to the Black Widow character. We may or may not see more of her, but, I mean, if this was it, it was good. And in the absence of Black Widow, we have now these three new characters yeah. who have their own charms to sort of come into it. And... It could also be because I'd, I guess I'd heard some stink about the movie. When I went in, my expectations were lowered, and as a result, I, I was pleasantly surprised. But yes, where we switched is the two-part Avengers. I do think Infinity War is significantly better than Endgame, while thinking that both of them are amazingly entertaining. I just think Endgame is kind of unwieldy in its size, and uh, there are, like I say... A rat frees Ant-Man from the microverse and, and Iron Man invents time travel overnight. There are things in the movie that I can definitely point to as problematic. Um, but uh, as far as this huge epic cinematic payoff, does it bring the goods? Yes. But for me, Endgame is in second place and Infinity War is top of the pile this particular episode but i don't think we're gonna fight too bad over this like we we no. basically agreed and let's be real in in some way infinity war and endgame is really one huge movie in some yeah. ways like actually i remember when they first announced a slate of movies like at a comic-con thing years ago it actually was infinity war part one and infinity war uh yeah part one and part two there you go and then they decided to, like, no, they, um, because of as they wrote them, I guess they felt like the things had shifted, and then it kind of felt like, yes, it's the second part, but it feels like it's its own thing. And then they got to be cheeky and coy about what's it going to be called, because then they didn't announce it until they dropped a trailer. We'll tell you when we're good and damn ready to tell yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Sky. Well, I love it. I love it movies in general and the Marvel ones always make me happy so happy to keep doing it right on well uh, I'm, I'm off to have a Spanish adventure <laughs> in in September but um, maybe I'll get in touch with you a little like when's Wakanda forever coming out it's November November so maybe in the yeah. new year sometime in the new year we, yeah. can, we can do this sure. all again when, when you're not completely busy, busy, busy. <laughs> no, that'd be, by the time we get into December and into New Year, it'll be a bit easier because I'll still be like maybe teaching one class, but I won't be doing like, oh, the Persephone gig and teaching. So things will be a bit crazy for the first bit. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the multiverse and your thoughts on, uh, uh, well, the, the future of Marvel Cinematic Universe. So. I ain't sick of it yet. Just because I was pointing nope. out that it's deeply flawed doesn't mean I'm not going to consume like a little pig.
And so there is Rank and Review 215, done with and over. I hope you enjoyed that exploration of Marvel because there's more to come in Rank and Review future. Big love and big thanks to Sky Brandon for being there, and big love and big thanks to your ears for being there. Send your feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website's at rankandreview.ca. I try to drop every other Wednesday, and much thanks and much love from your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. We'll talk to you real soon.